0: Welcome to the Davy Tree Expert Company's podcast, Talking Trees. I'm your host, Doug Oster. Each episode showcases one of Davy's certified arborists sharing advice with everyone about caring for your trees and landscapes. We'll talk about everything from introduced pests, seasonal tree care, deer damage, how to make your trees thrive, and much, much more. Tune in every Thursday to learn more because here at the Talking Trees podcast, we know trees are the answer. I'm joined today by Travis Vickerson. He's an assistant district manager for the Davy Tree Expert Company in New Hampshire and Vermont, where the trees are just starting to change, and that's what we're going to talk about today. How are you today, Travis?
1: Hey, Doug. I'm doing great. And Like you said, we're just on the precipice of fall. Look out the window, and you can start to see them change right before your eyes.
0: Well, we're all looking forward to fall foliage, that's for sure. Not winter, but fall foliage. Why do those trees change color?
1: Well, it's kind of a unique thing, Doug. A lot of these trees actually, you know, when we say change color, they're really not changing color. The color is always there. So these pigments that we're seeing come out in the fall, the yellows, the orange, and, and the browns, are actually there all the time. But they're hidden behind the green that's produced from the chlorophyll. So the green pigment, pigment of the leaves comes from the chlorophyll. So as the tree starts to shut down its processes going into winter, starting to hibernate itself, it starts pulling the chlorophyll production. And that green starts to recess from the leaves. And as that green recesses, it exposes these yellows, these oranges, and these browns. And then those pinks and the purples and the red pigments actually are manufactured in the fall. So as the tree begins to shut down for winter, it starts to create other pigments through other types of enzymes and and other processes processes of the tree very similar to chlorophyll that produces these very vibrant colors. And a lot of this is uh, dictated very much by weather. Um, Everybody thinks that, you know, oh, it just has to do with it getting cold. Well, Yes, cold weather does play into a factor, but also has to do with, you know, what kind of spring did you have? What kind of summer did you have? Was it a wet summer? Was it a dry summer? Was it a wet fall or a wet spring? And then you start looking at the fall. Was it a rapid cool down or was it a slow cool down? All of these things will play into the tree and really determine what kind of fall color you're going to have. Also, where you live in the United States is going to change that. Up here in New England, as you said, our trees are changing right before our eyes. I've got a gorgeous uh, sugar maple out my window here in my office. And you can watch the green start pulling from the leaves. Some leaves are actually half green, half red right now as it starts to pull in every single day, getting more and more red and less and less green. Yet down in the southeast, uh, they're still going strong in summer right now. Um, I'm actually from North Carolina, relocated to New England a few years back. And down there, they're still having the 90 to 100 degree days and really enjoying that summer weather as they get ready to go into cool fall weather. So it really depends on where you're at, Doug. But, yeah, it's definitely an exciting time of year.
0: So, just about every arborist I've talked to on the podcast brings up sugar maples. Is that one of your favorite fall trees?
1: It absolutely is. um One, because I love pancakes, so therefore fall leads to winter, which leads to <laughs> syrup production. um Here at Chipper, the Davy Company, we actually boil our own syrup, we make about 3,000 gallons of syrup a year out of our sugar maple crop. But they are just amazing for color. um That sweet glyco that's in the tree, that sap, just does such amazing things for the colors. New England is actually really unique. A lot of people have traveled to New England just for the leaves, Doug, and that has to do with because of our temperatures are so perfect going into fall, where we are a wet climate, we have very cool nights with rather warm, sunny days, and that just leads to very vibrant colors. This year, especially, it's looking like it's going to be a prime year for color change. Last year actually happened really weird. Um, last year was kind of staggered and really slow and drawn out. and The year before that, it all happened really quickly. And that quick changeover is really produces those hillside uh, quilt work, if you will, of colors.
0: So what is it about this season that makes you think it's gonna be a great one for fall foliage?
1: Well, for us up here, we had a very wet summer. So we've got a lot of moisture in the ground. Last year, we had a very dry summer. So we were in a drought situation. The trees were already stressed. So it caused them to start changing earlier in the year and prolong that change. So instead of all the trees changing at one time, it was more staggered. Where this year we've had a really good wet season, We've had some warm weather, but not overly warm weather throughout summer. We haven't seen a lot of stress from drought and and high heat. So the trees are really primed for that really good color change. And we entered into a really cold nighttime spell in the last week or so that's really going to produce those changes pretty quickly.
0: That's great information about the difference in the season and how our fall foliage looks. Are there some other trees you'd like to talk about when it comes to fall color?
1: Um, so I love oak trees. I love the browns and the oaks. And ironically enough, Doug, I'm actually colorblind. I'm a red-green colorblind. So I have a very hard time seeing the different shades of reds and greens. So when I look out across the hillside landscape, the reds and the pinks and the oranges somewhat blend together for me along with the, de- the deciduous, uh, all the other deciduous trees. And then the conifers being green all kind of create a solid backdrop. But the oaks, the browns, I can see the browns really well, Doug, being colorblind. So I love oak trees and all the tannins that come out in those brown colors.
0: So if I was to ask you what other trees you might suggest that have great fall color, considering, of course, I've got the space for it and the right cultural requirements, what would you think?
1: Absolutely. So as an arborist, we always know right tree, right place. We want to make sure they have the right soil, the right conditions, and the right ability for that tree to grow into the large majestic structure it's going to be. So obviously maple, hands down, can't lose on maples. But you start to look at some of the oaks, as well as some of the dogwoods. Um, You start getting some of the more flowering trees. I love the flowering because you get great leaf production in the fall, and then you get great flower production in the spring. So it's kind of a double hit. Um, I'm a huge fan coming out of North Carolina at the dogwood down south and love seeing those color changes as as those greens start turning into purples and and those dark reds and whatnot through fall.
0: So I want to change gears. Yeah, we get all that color and then the leaves drop, but there's still – plenty of interest in trees that are in our forests and our landscape, right?
1: So I'm a climber, Doug. That's how I started my career over 20 years ago, climbing trees. So what I look for in trees, especially outside of the forest environment with our urban forests, our residential commercial properties, is that great tree structure. Um, it reminds me of the live oaks in the South or in Texas, or you look at some of the you know Spanish moss hanging down in Savannah off the trees and just that wonderful big branch structure that just, you know, craves to be climbed by young kids and and arborists alike for me it's about structure also you look at some of the you know the pines that are out there you start getting some of these really interesting white pine trees and start seeing some amazing growth structure habits that come with them it really provides a very diverse um, climate for us in forest as well as just in our garden spaces um, the like
0: and as far as winter interest is concerned some oak trees will actually hang on to their leaves i know that because i have to rake them later in the year
1: They will. Some trees actually will hold on to their leaves almost the entire way through winter, and they actually won't drop their leaves until spring when the new leaf production begins to form and the petiole is cut free from the stem of the tree, from the new growth, and actually kind of pushed out of the way. So it holds on to them, and the last second, it'll drop them in the spring. You know, one thing that reminds me of that, Doug, is we need to make sure that when people start seeing leaves drop, that they're dropping for the right reasons. Going into fall, we know, hey, our leaves should be turning, they should be dropping. But if your leaves are dropping in maybe late spring, in the early summer, late summer. That might be conditions of a drought. also could be insects, disease. And you definitely should contact your local arborist um, to get your tree looked at if it's changing and dropping leaves in a time of year that normally it doesn't do that.
0: And how about trees that have winter interest as far as the bark is concerned? Is there anything to think of there?
1: Oh, yeah. There's all kinds of trees out there that have got amazing bark structure. One that comes to my mind, actually, is the monkey puzzle tree. Um, the Monkey Puzzle Tree is, is a very unique tree. It's got these, uh, they're leaves that grow actually on the bark area of the tree, and they're triangles, and they're all pointed in different directions, and it makes it where predators and pests can't actually climb the tree. It prevents that from happening. They're extremely sharp, um, and it's just a very unique, gorgeous tree. You start getting in some of the color-changing barks. You start looking at some other species of trees that have, you know, shedding bark. It really gets interesting when we start kind of geeking out on the trees.
0: Tell me a little bit about why this job is right for you. You said you came in as a climber?
1: So I uh, joined the industry uh, 20 years ago as a 17-year-old kid right in high school who uh, didn't know what he really wanted to do with his life and uh, started doing tree work uh, with a storm chaser, actually. And it just kind of led, one thing led to another, and I realized that, you know, I really had a joy and a passion for doing tree work. My father had an entrepreneurial mind as well, so we went into business together created my my first company, um, Vertical Landscapes of Raleigh in North Carolina, and had that company for a number of years and sold that company off and then got a chance to travel all over the country uh, teaching other climbers how to climb trees safely, how to climb trees efficiently, and then I've branched down into leadership and safety culture training for companies and consulting on the business side of companies before coming to work for Davey, now as an assistant district manager in Davey.
0: Well, I'm telling you, I have a fear of heights. and Whenever I see the guys from Davy up in those trees, it gives me the willies. But talk a little bit about the progression of starting out learning those safety tips and then teaching them also, making sure everyone else is safe.
1: Absolutely. That's one of the beautiful and crazy things about our industry, Doug, is it's kind of unregulated. Anybody can go to Home Depot, anybody can buy a chainsaw, and start a tree care company up in their backyard. There's no regulation really on that outside of a few key states. So it allows a lot of people to get in this industry and not always learn the safest. I wouldn't call it dangerous, and I wouldn't call it hazardous, but it does have some risks if you don't know how to do it correctly. When I learned 20 years ago, I actually learned the complete wrong way to climb a tree. Um, I was taught to bear hug the tree and spike it the whole way up and then put my lanyard on and no ropes and just cut my way all the way down to the base of the tree. And through a lot of training and a lot of self-discipline, I've progressed through my abilities to now the point of teaching others how to progress their abilities through climbing on spikes to climbing on rope-based systems and progressing through those things.
0: So are you nervous up in that tree? Like I would be, I would just be scared when I look out there and I've got guys from Davey coming here all the time. When I see those guys, you know, the guy down below with a rope, the guy up above in a rope, in the tree, cutting. I guess I assume that you have to feel differently than certainly I would in that tree.
1: Um, I'm going to say something that's probably going to get me in trouble with other climbers after Doug, but I still get nervous when I climb trees. It's still there. I actually caution climbers that if they don't get nervous sometimes, they probably need to assess that this is really what they need to continue doing. There's something unnatural about being up in a tree and that tree moving in the wind. It's also a very freeing thing. It's in my sanctuary, I call it. It's where I go to kind of clear my head space. I get up in a tree and just kind of feel the tree move, be a part of that organism for a few minutes or a few hours. But, no, there's definitely a, a sense, especially if you're doing removal work. I don't know a single climber out there that doesn't take the top of a tree off of using a chainsaw. So there's always a little bit of that fear, and that fear is actually healthy. That, that's a good fear. Um, I get scared on ladders. So how you feel about heights, that's how I feel about ladders. Give me a rope and a tree any day of the week over a ladder.
0: Well, I got heights and I got ladders, too, so
1: <laughs> I don't know. Gardening good for you, then. <laughs> yes, yes. I
0: leave that to the pros, and that's my point here, is that, and I say this all the time in the podcast, I have good friends that they just want to do it themselves, and I've seen them come very close to some tragic situations. Get a pro to do this. You've got to know what you're doing.
1: Yeah, it's a, a little bit art, a little bit science um, in everything we do. So, you know, it's, I try to explain to new climbers coming in the industry. As a climber in a tree, when you're starting to work a tree down, especially in removal work or, or heavy pruning reduction work, you've got to be able to think three or four steps ahead of every action you do because, like everything, there's an equal and opposite reaction to every action. Well, in the tree care industry, when you're working a loft and there's a reaction to an action you take, you can't just drop your saw and run away like you could on the ground. You're tied to that tree. So you need to make sure that whatever action you're going to create is going to create the correct reaction for that action that's going to provide a safe environment. And, you know, it's one of those things I tell customers all the time. A lot of people don't know this. If you hire a tree care company and they come on your property and they do not have workers' comp insurance, and they may have general liability, and that's great to protect your house, but they don't have workers' comp insurance. And one of those workers gets hurt on your property working for you technically as a subcontractor. Your homeowner's insurance and your personal liability is on the line there. So it really pays to hire a company that has the right insurance, has the right safety and training initiatives in their company.
0: Yeah, every day I'm getting calls from people about their trees, and I always tell them, call Davey, get their certified arborist to come out. They come out for free. They can tell you if you should do it, if they should do it, if anything needs to be done at all. And then I wanted to talk, especially this time of the year, about the importance of having safety checks, of having an arborist come out and take a look.
1: Yeah, so this time of year, depending on where you're out in the country, you're probably dealing with different things. Coming out of the south, you're looking at hurricane season. Up here in the north, you're getting ready for winter and, and winter storm season. So what you need to be looking at is different. As a professional arborist, when you go onto a property, you're assessing those things. You're looking at the tree structure, looking at the root plate to make sure the root plate's solid. you make sure growth habits are going to be strong unions. You're not going to worry about weak, included bark unions failing in, in storm weather. After hurricanes come through, a lot of people think that's when, you know, you need to not worry about it if you didn't have any damage done to your house or your property. But you also should have a consulting arborist come out or a professional arborist in your area come out and assess your property after a storm comes through. Because they may be able to identify some areas that have been weakened or some potential hazards that are there that you may not see and not be aware of. So definitely prepping after storms. Uh, Going into winter, we want to be making sure we're doing in-weight reduction on branches that are over houses or over power lines. Start getting those weight back to the core of the tree. So when those heavy snow loads come, hopefully they don't come before the leaves fall because then you're going to have a wet snow situation on a leaf structure, which is going to prevent just huge weight loads in our trees and cause a lot of catastrophic errors that end up causing us a lot of issues with our homes and our power going out. So definitely that time of year, you want to be preparing for that depending on what season you're dealing with and what you're dealing with in your own climate.
0: Travis, talk a little bit about the joy of going to a property, talking to a customer and saving a tree because people oftentimes have a special connection with the trees on their property.
1: Absolutely, so for me it's something really special about not only taking care of trees because uh, believe it or not, we need trees, they don't need us, that's uh, kind of a funny thing. I've seen a few bumper stickers out there about if trees gave away <laughs> wifi, they'd be planted everywhere, but they give away oxygen and we don't care for them like we should. But I love taking care of a customer's property so they really can enjoy their outdoor space. A lot of times you know, we think of our our house as the inside confines of the walls. But your house is also the property surrounding it. And being able to enjoy that property and have people get the best use of that property is really what's important, I think. So going into a customer's house, talking to them about what they're looking for and what we can do to help them achieve that. And sometimes you actually find a customer calls you out for a removal, and you say, well, you know, let's look at maybe doing some pruning instead. You might end up with a better product than if you had just removed it because you're frustrated with the leaves and branches dropping all the time. We could go ahead and do some pruning and take care of it better that way. Also, you've got plant health care where we come in talked about earlier, you know, that these trees are starting to drop their leaves early. You got discolored leaves earlier than they should be. You know, maybe you have a disease or a damaged root system there and we can do root aerations. We can do PHC applications, plant health care op- applications of those trees to kind of help restore them to that vigor. So next fall, they've got that beautiful color that you're going to miss out on this year because they might have a few issues going on that you may not be able to take care of.
0: Well, Travis, that sounds like the perfect place to leave it at. Thanks for all that information, especially for us in the East, knowing that we're going to have this great fall foliage to enjoy. Thanks again for your time.
1: Thank you very much, Doug. It was a pleasure and I really look forward to uh, helping others and uh, helping everybody learn to outlive our trees one tree at a time. That's the goal is education.
0: Oh, good stuff for sure. Now tune in every Thursday to the Talking Trees podcast from the Davy Tree Expert Company. I'm your host, Doug Oster, and do me a big favor, subscribe to the podcast. We're having so much fun talking about trees next week for Canada's National Forest Week, The Value of Forests. We all love the trees, right? As always, we'd like to remind you on the Talking Trees podcast, trees are the answer.